Hi there, and thank you for listening to Toxic Bliss. I just want to take a moment to do a really quick intro to let you know about some of the new things going on here at the podcast and my other projects. In the links below, uh, the first thing you're going to see, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, is a link to my YouTube channel. I've started a Let's Play series there of some video games that I like. There's a three-minute mindfulness series of videos, which are short, introductory videos to give you some techniques to use to help you get through your daily life. Meditations, visualizations, all kinds of stuff like that. So give it a listen and let me know what you think. And I've also started a Patreon channel. On my Patreon, there will be some exclusive interviews with people you've heard in this story. Not Mike, though. Not quite ready to reach out to him for an interview. But there will be one with Maggie, my daughter, Eddie, my ex-husband, Liam, my current husband, maybe even my mom. You never know. Uh, And lastly, I have a Teespring site. The link is also in the description to this podcast where you can get Toxic Bliss merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, all kinds of cool stuff. So please check that out. Subscribe to me. All of my social media links are down below. And I hope to talk to you soon. Please enjoy the episode and thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hi there, and welcome back to Toxic Bliss, Surviving Narcissism with me, Awen Reese. Therapy. So much therapy. I was fortunate insofar as the therapist that I was seeing was kind of bored. He didn't have too many clients, and he seemed fascinated by my case, so I started seeing him very often. We talked about a lot of things, not just my issues. He was a collector of religious iconography and a theologian and a historian, so we talked a lot about that as I had studied comparative religions pretty extensively during my learn-everything-you-can-before-you-die crusade on the internet, which actually hasn't ended yet, by the way. I really looked forward to our talks because, at least in part, it gave me an outlet for deep and meaningful conversation that wasn't about Sesame Street or potty training or how to make organic homemade baby food. Maggie and Mac were my world, and I loved every moment of being a mom. Don't get me wrong, but having someone to talk to about adult things and adult emotions, as well as a shared interest in academic pursuits, was, well, something kind of new to me. I was pondering this during one of our sessions, and he asked me what I was thinking about, and I told him. I recall the conversation that I had with Mike about that time when I was learning Welsh and had a study group, and how offended Mike was by that, and ultimately how I had to choose between continuing my studies or being with Mike. My therapist asked which choice I had made, and I just looked at him like, what do you think? He chuckled softly and said he guessed that, and how did I feel about it? Well, I was angry and resentful, I didn't see why I couldn't love Mike and still study a language. Why did the two exclude each other in his mind? I had agreed to only work on my studies while Mike was at work even, but that wasn't good enough for him. I explained that even though I had given in to Mike's ultimatum, I never really understood why it was such a problem for him to begin with. 
I understand this event perfectly now, after all these years, but at the time, I didn't get it. My therapist might have, but we never really got into a deep-dive conversation about it, aside from the control factor, which is only one aspect of the entire problem. I will talk about this at great length later in the series, but the way I came to my understanding of it is also part of the story, so we can't go there yet. Sorry. So, we talked about control and Mike's need for it, as well as his irrational reactions to situations that stripped him of that control. For instance, Maggie and the medicine. To Mike, Maggie refusing to take her medicine because it was so gross was all about her not obeying his command. She was exerting her autonomy instead of being an obedient minion, and he just could not handle that. What might have been a drawn-out battle of wills between Maggie and I became a pathological need to exert dominance between Mike and Maggie, and he would use any means necessary to get his way, even violence. When that event had happened, I was enraged by it, and I was immediately willing to step between them physically to protect my daughter. I knew what he was doing was terribly wrong, even though I didn't understand why he was doing it. This information made a lot of sense, and I thought back to other instances of the same sort of behavior, and I started to see a pattern. There were a handful of times that I could think of where Maggie was unable or unwilling to comply with the demand of his, and he got angry in a way that was completely unreasonable. First was the pool incident way back from when we had just arrived in Florida. She was too terrified to go swim with him again, especially after he had dunked her under the water, after promising not to, and her fear prevented her from doing what he wanted, and he raged at her in response. The second time was equally as unreasonable. We were at the playground in Florida once at the apartment complex, and Maggie did not want to climb the jungle gym. It was one of those large climbing playsets with the wobbly bridges and slides and all that stuff, but she wanted no part of it. She played happily on the ground, but she refused to climb up on it and Mike had picked her up and stuck her up on top and left her there and told her to find her own way down. He yelled at me when I climbed up to get her and took her down with me. The third time was at the mall, when Maggie encountered her first escalator. She was paralyzed with fear and could not get onto it for love or money. I had to pick her up and hold her as we rode it up to the second floor. She had the same reaction to it going back down. Instead of letting me pick her up, though, Mike told her to get on or we'd leave her behind. When she refused, he just got on the escalator and left her standing at the top crying. Now by that time, I was halfway down and I couldn't reach her. So of course, I went back up, got her, and carried her back down. But he made a lot of comments about how stupid it was and how she was just a big baby, so on and so forth. He never stopped in these situations to wonder why she might have been afraid of these things. He never wondered if there was something actually wrong that was maybe causing a problem. To him, she was just a spoiled, coddled child that refused to obey, and it infuriated him. When she had had her first eye appointment, we found out what the cause actually was. Maggie could only see two-dimensionally. She had no depth perception at all, so something like a moving set of stairs looked impossible and she could not figure out how to step onto it because it looked very different to her than it looked to us. 
This also explained why she couldn't deal with the jungle gym. She couldn't tell how high something was in relation to another part of the play equipment, which made navigation almost impossible. Once we realized this, she was given a new set of glasses and we took her to some physical therapy to help her learn how to overcome the visual challenges and be able to move around in her world with ease. So, Mike's opinion that she was simply spoiled and coddled was completely wrong, and that made me feel a lot better about life. We had argued about it a lot, and I did start to think that maybe he was right. Maybe I did baby her too much. Maybe that's why she had these problems. Maybe I should stop babying her and be a tougher mom. Thankfully, I never did that, and I let my own instincts drive my parenting behavior. But I came pretty close to trying it. So many things in life had been motivated by Mike's desire for obedience, and it had gotten to the point over the years that I started to consider changing my behavior to accommodate his needs. I wondered what would have happened if he had been around for most of Mac's first year, and I was glad that he actually hadn't been around too much. He could have really screwed up my relationship with Mac and turned me into a bitter, frustrated mother in the process. I had got a lot of good revelations in this session. My therapist said he felt that I had really grasped the information and because I was pointing out events that had perfectly highlighted the problem. He was glad that I was doing so well. Until, yeah, <laughs> until I asked him one more question before the session was over. I asked him how to go about helping someone like Mike learn not to be so controlling and what was it about him that made him have this pathological need for control? My therapist just sighed and looked at me like, Really? Are we going there? And I just looked at him and said, Well, I mean, it sounds like Mike doesn't even know he's doing this. If I knew why he was, then maybe I could help him stop doing it, and life would be better for everyone. He said that yes, that was true, but I had to stop thinking about fixing Mike and focus on keeping that toxicity out of my life. It just wasn't my job. My job was to be happy and healthy and raise two happy, healthy kids, period. Mike was not my responsibility, and we'd talk about that during the next session. He was right, and I knew he was right, but it still wasn't what I wanted to hear. But I sighed and agreed and walked home very slowly that day. I had a lot on my mind. But we're going to pause here for a short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. November had come and gone, and it had been a long, cold, snowy month. December arrived in similar fashion, and the kids and I spent most of our time inside. I decorated for the holiday, and put up all of the decorations that Mike had bought before. That made me a little sad, but I got over it. We did a lot of Christmas-themed arts and crafts and a ton of baking. I didn't have money to buy presents for my whole family, just like the years before, so I baked a lot and Maggie made cards for everyone. I put up our little Christmas tree and fretted about what to put under it. Because times had been so tight financially, I had often visited the local food pantry to bolster our meager pantry. When I went there in early December, they told me that they do a gift drive for kids for Christmas and told me to pick whatever I needed for the kids. There were coats, hats, mittens, boots, and then I could pick four or five toys for each child as well. I want to talk for a minute about what this meant to me. 
I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. And if you haven't, then that's wonderful. And I'm very happy for you. At the same time, if you haven't experienced lack to that degree, you may not understand this part. But I didn't have any money to speak of. I was on food stamps, which came to about 250 a month for all three of us. That's not a lot, and we had to eat a lot of crap garbage food to make the money stretch for the whole month. I tried to buy healthy things as much as possible, but there were a lot of ramen noodles, too. It wasn't pretty. Add to that the cost of diapers and wipes, but I was able to get WIC assistance for formula, baby food, and other things as Mac got older, like peanut butter, kick cereal, juicy juice, things like that, and that was a tremendous help. Now, these programs are not a viable alternative to financial independence at all, but they sure do help when you've gotten yourself into a horrible mess and your kids are hungry. I don't advocate trying to purposefully get yourself into a mess and going on these programs to avoid having to work, but if you can't work and you need to feed your family, you do what you have to do. And I was very, very grateful that these programs existed. To have the local town food pantry send me home with coats and winter things for both kids and a pile of presents for each, as well as a week's worth of food, I can't even begin to express how thankful I was. The Christmas tree looked a lot better with presents underneath it, and I felt a lot better about life in general. We had another lovely holiday together with the whole family, and no one was left wanting for anything. January was gross, though. It was so cold and snowy and wet and slushy and gray. Just, ugh. I could not wait for spring, but it was still a long ways off. I had slumped into something of a hermitage for a while. I didn't want to go outside, except to get Maggie on and off the school bus, and I didn't talk to many people aside from my internet friends. I was warm and cozy inside, and I didn't feel any need to be sociable. I even skipped some therapy sessions simply because I didn't want to walk in the icy, snowy mess outside. Plus, there was a lot of hot cocoa and leftover Christmas cookies inside, so that's where I wanted to be. I had done a lot of reading online about how to handle controlling partners. I looked up tips and tricks to help your significant other not be a complete jerk. Things like that, and I felt that I had learned a few things that might actually help someday. My therapist would be tut-tutting if he knew that's what I was working on, but, oh well, I would not be dissuaded from my research. You've got mail, my computer proclaimed loudly as I was trying to read. I opened my inbox and saw a note from Cloud Chaser Girl. Oh dear, what's this now, I wondered. I opened it and the email read, Mike is all yours, you can have him back. I kicked him out this morning, and I don't want anything to do with him ever again. Don't reply. I just want this over. Thanks. Oh, hmm. That's interesting. They made it about three months before she had enough of him. I wondered what had happened, but I didn't email her back to ask as badly as I wanted to. I sat back in my chair and allowed myself a moment to try to imagine the breakup. Was it crazy and angry, or did she just tell him to get out? Did she throw things at him? Did he break any of her knives? The phone rang before I could satisfy myself with my daydreaming, and I answered it somewhat testily. Hello? 
Hi, he said. Oh, it's you. Be nice, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, so I've heard, I said. Oh, really? What did you hear? He said, taunting me. Well, I heard that Cloudy kicked you out, and she doesn't want you back. But good news, she said you're all mine if I wanted you back. Isn't that fun? Ugh, he sighed deeply. I can't believe she did that. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure it was meant as a warning. Anyway, what do you want? He said, I'm just wondering if, you know, maybe you missed me and you wanted me to come home. And I said, well, the same rules apply as last time. You have to get yourself settled somewhere and get a good job and get some therapy, and then we could date a little bit and see how things go. But no, I don't want you to come right up here and move in. But, but I have nowhere to go, he started whining. Well, whose fault is that? And you're closer to Florida than Connecticut. Why don't you call Tina? Ha, he laughed. Tina threatened to have me arrested on sight last time I called her. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Oh, can you not be such a bitch right now? I'm hurting and alone and I have nowhere to go. And I said, well, you're not coming here. I'm sorry, but I'm not ready for that. Well, can you at least help me get a bus ticket back to my mom's then? Really, Mike? Now you want money from me? I know, all that child support that you haven't paid me in three months, that's about $300. Why don't you just use that for your bus ticket? You'll even have enough for lunch. God, you're such a bitch, he yelled at me and hung up. I was shaking when I put the phone down. It had taken every ounce of spiritual energy that I had to maintain my position during that phone call. There was a very loud and strong-willed part of me that had wanted to say, Yes, please come home. I love you so much. But thankfully, I was able to keep her in a little soundproof cage while I talked with Mike. I didn't have any strength left to contain her now, though, so she was rampaging around my brain, screaming at me. How could you be so mean to him? He's hurting, and you are the only person in the world that understands him and loves him, and you threw him away like garbage. He's all alone, has nowhere to go, no money, and you're just going to say screw you and let him suffer? I thought you loved him. Hmm. I wondered at times if that voice that was in my head was actually a part of Mike, like a little symbiote or parasite that had crawled into my brain and taken up residence there just to speak for him when he wasn't around. In actuality, I think of it now as a spiritual parasite, the result of his programming and brainwashing that he had spent years doing to my head. He taught me to question myself at every turn, to doubt all of my instincts and feelings and thoughts and everything. But for whatever reason, I had overcome that, at least this time. I managed to stay strong, I managed to say no when I needed to and not give in. I did it. It felt good and terrible at the same time. And I started to worry, like, what if he didn't call me back? What if he was so angry with me for saying no that he actually believed me and didn't try to talk me into coming back again? What if I burned that bridge? Oh, no, what have I done? I didn't have long to worry about that, though, as the phone rang again only a moment later. Sorry, he said. We got cut off or something. I'm at a payphone. Right, I said. So I called my mom, 
She's getting me a bus ticket to Kentucky. Can I call you when I get there? Sure, I said after a pause. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you in a day or two. I love you. And I didn't reply to that. I just hung up the phone. I had to take sock of this and really think it through. He wasn't coming here, and that was a good thing. He had some place to go, so I could stop worrying about that, and he would talk to me again. So everything was fine? Ugh, it didn't feel so fine. I called my therapist right away and made an appointment for the next morning. In the next episode, I come clean with my therapist about my motivations, and I do talk to Mike again. Which me is going to succeed here? The logical me or the crazy symbiote parasite running around in my brain? Find out next time. And until then, thank you for listening and take care. People ask me why.